We might need some more fodder. Yeah. Well, we're going it's, now. It's always gold. Yeah, it's something. The real right. man only needs one bullet. <laughs> I tip my hat. Sorry. All right. Opening theme starting in three, two, one. In the heart of a champion, there is a fire. And the flames are controlled by Welcome back to the Code of Man podcast. This is Mike Overtrek Barnett here in our studios in an undisclosed location deep in the heart of, well, we can't say. Because it's undisclosed. That's right. But right here in the studio with us today is Easy Target. Hello and good morning or whatever time of day it is that you're listening. And we've got back with us today Roland Napoleon. Otherwise known as Dr. Dean. Good afternoon. Yes. Good afternoon to you, sir. Hey, thank you. And not that it is the afternoon when we're recording at this undisclosed time. Good evening. Yeah, everything's yeah. top secret around the code compound. That is correct. And uh, speaking of top secret, we've got we to talk a minute before we get into today's topic. We've got to spend just a few moments talking about it, the upcoming top secret code mission. Yes. The code super adventure is only days away. And uh, we've asked Dr. Dean this before, Napoleon, when he was here. But inquiring minds really want to know the latest, greatest update. How are you doing on your conditioning and training for the super adventure? So the super adventure is going super. It's going well. So a lot of rucking going on, some, some diet changes, a lot of good things happening over here. I, I see you're keeping it close to the chest, the details of all that. This is top secret. It is top secret. All right. We don't want to give away too much. He's got a book deal that's coming out in a couple of months. He can't give all the secrets away right now or there'll be nobody buying it. Only thing is the title. What you is are the title? welcome. You, you are, are welcome. welcome. Oh, yeah. I like that. By that's Roland catchy. Napoleon, Dr. Dean. There's a lot of names. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. Yep. All right. All right. So, uh, you know, we, we've gotten, and this is good, but we've gotten really hot and heavy and busy lately with uh, our topics, trying to help men with some some of our podcast discussions, so much so that we've all almost left off talking about code adventures. But mm. it is summertime, and with the summertime and this incredible heat and humidity uh, in this undisclosed part of the world, we slow down, or at least I do. I yes. guess I can't speak for everybody. But I go into hibernation during the summertime. You're like an inverted bear. I am. Hmm. I am. But we're going to head out west. We're going to get up in some high elevation in Colorado. We're not going to say how far west we're going from Colorado. our Colorado. Right. Oh, yeah, but how, we won't yeah. say how long it'll take to get there. It could be Correct. anywhere from 15 minutes to 15 days. <laughs> Correct. All right, so we've been talking some in the last few days about a topic that we wanted to bring into the Code of Man podcast studio. And uh, let me introduce this topic today by sharing with you a statement, and, and you may, you probably have heard this statement before, but it's not in common vernacular in these days. But you ever heard that statement? Now there goes a real man of the world. 
And what I found in re- kind of researching about that was that it's a it's an old phrase in the English language that was sort of introduced popular around the 15th century, perhaps not as commonly used today. But have you ever heard that? Boy, he's a real man of the world. Yeah, I have. Yeah. And what does that make you think of? Yeah, he's a man of the world. He's a man's man. You know, top notch, A plus. Got it all together. Go getter. Got it figured out. Yeah. See, you I know, think of it more like a. I've heard you've heard the phrase like a Renaissance man, a modern man, a man that is up on the times, a man that is, he's well developed, he's impactful in society, a man about town. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man about town. You know that one's not as used anymore either. It's not. But but yes. So we're on track. Uh, in fact, in the official Code of Man television show, which is the Andy Griffith Show. That's right. And there was a, a an episode called A Date for Gomer. You remember that one? She's real nice. That yeah. one. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> She's real nice. <laughs> well, anyway, in that one, Gomer's all nervous about his first date. And uh, Barney telling him, you know, you just go in and you just talk to her. And, and Gomer's reply is, well, it's easy for you, Barney. You're so suave and worldly. I mean, you've been out with waitresses and even dated a registered nurse. You know, <laughs> so the implication behind that is is that Barney is a go-getter. He's a man of the world. He's on top of things. So when you hear a man of the world. There's this idea that this is having life figured out, having it yeah. all together. In fact, the official definition of man of the world: a man of much experience who is not shocked by things that may be shocking. To other people. Let me say that again. A man of much experience who is not shocked by things that may be shocking to other people. So this is a man that's been around the block. A man that's seen some stuff, done some things, experienced life, lived. But the thing about it is that it's commonly used to champion what I believe the Bible would would put off. Or would, what's the word I'm looking for? Condemn, or yes, I think that's a it's a strong word, but it fits. You know, so the world would champion this, but Scripture would condemn this because it is the opposite of what we're interested in, which is being not men of the world, but men of God. Right. Now, there's a twist on that definition in our day because we're living in a time of great worldliness, and I guess every age has had its own. But a lot of men today have truly lost the shock factor because, think about it like this, nothing really shocks us anymore. Yeah. Do you remember the last time you were shocked by anything you heard in the news? Or, And I'm afraid, and I set you up, I didn't mean to set you up by this, but I'm afraid we don't get shocked because we're all too familiar or too much men of the world. Yeah. It's okay to be honest about it. Right. There's something about our, I'll use your word, our marination in the world that we just kind of live and swim in it and swirl around in it, and so nothing shocks us. There's a lack of distance between God, between who should be godly men and what's going on in the world. Other, other modern terms for this would be cosmopolitan. Hmm. You're kind of a cosmopolitan kind of guy. Very cosmopolitan. Metropolitan. Urbane. Is that the way you say that? I think it's urban. Not not urban. urban, Not like (laughs) like you live in the city. 
It's got an E on the end. Urbane. Urbane. Whatever. We'll Whatever. just leave that part out. <laughs> and then this word, which we will be more familiar with, worldly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Worldly. Now, we use that a lot in church, and preachers will preach on being worldly. But it's an interesting definition, worldly, and you'll see how they're connected. Worldly means relating to or devoted to the material world, especially in contrast to spiritual concerns. And the second definition, experienced in human affairs, sophisticated or worldly wise. That kind of brings it back to that man of the world idea. So does the Bible have anything to say about being a man of the world? Well, it does. And I was just reading this this morning in Psalm 17. I want to read these verses. Psalm 17, verses 13 through 15. It says, Arise, O Lord, disappoint him, cast him down. Deliver my soul from the wicked, which is thy sword. From men which are thy hand, O Lord. And here's the phrase. From men of the world which have their portion in this life, and whose belly thou fillest with thy hid treasure. They are full of children. They leave the rest of their substance to their babes. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Here's a biblical definition or call out of being men of the world. So what do we learn from that passage? Immediately what comes to mind is they're they're not really contributing anything that, that matters. It's just the repetitive motion. Well, they're contributing to one place themselves. Sure. Right. Right. And and even in this, the most noble thing that is said about them in this passage, we're talking about men of the world. The most noble thing that is said about them is that they are, they they they're full of hid treasure. They're full of children. They leave the rest of their substance to their babes. That's the most noble thing said about them. But if you understand the reasoning behind that, they do that to perpetuate their own name, yep. their right. own legacy. Right. You know, that's what they're interested in. When, uh, when I was in Bible college, um, I was going through apologetics. And one thing that really jumped out to me when we were studying the cults and the, the, the occult and so forth, one thing that really jumped out to me was that um, Satanism – uh, the people don't worship the devil, they worship themselves. And, and that goes back to what uh, Lucifer said when he says, I will be like the Most High. Well, that's what the worldly man is. He, he only cares about himself. He'll go to church if he feels like it. Mm-hmm. He'll read the Bible if he wants to. But at the end of the day, regardless if he means to or not, it's almost as if he has his own final word of authority. He, as, as the Christian man, the godly man, our final word of authority of faith and practice is the word of God, is the Bible. Fearfully, we obey the God in his word. But the worldly man, whatever he justifies in himself, whatever he feels is, feels is true, is what he's going to do. He's just going to follow after whatever he feels like. There's two, two other descriptions here that kind of jump out, I think, in this passage about this world, this, these men of the world. In verse 13, it refers to them as wicked. Now, wicked would be anything that is, you know, not in line with God's righteousness, God's plan, God's goodness, but they're off course. They're wicked. All right? They may not be out bar hopping. Right. They may not be out running around on their wives. But their heart, their soul, he says, deliver my soul from the wicked. And so there is this idea that there's something in their soul, something in their heart that isn't in line with God. 
The other thing, not only are they wicked, so I think you see a lot of, we're talking about their pursuits, and that probably does define men of the world. What are they after? What are they pursuing? They're serving self. They are doing even what looks noble on the outside, perhaps, but they're doing it for the wrong reasons. But the other thing that it brings out here, I think, is this emphasis on this life. Men of the world which have their portion in this life. Not only are they focused on this life, but it's the only hope they have. Yeah. yeah. So what we're talking about here is, is, is helping you, the listener, to discern where do I fit in? Do I, is my life, is my focus, is my heart, it, am I more like the men of the world? Too, even if we see an illustration of this that I really never thought of before until we got into this discussion, but you look at the, the question that was posed to John the Baptist towards the end of his ministry. Folks began coming around as John's disciples began leaving following him and going to follow Christ. A lot of folks asked, basically, does this not bother you? You're losing your ministry. You're losing your effectiveness. Your your people, your followers are going. Who are you going to be left as? And John makes the statement, he must increase, but I must decrease. And we see the pattern of what it is that we're to be looking for. The rest of the world, everybody else looking at John said, John, you've got to be upset. Your empire's crumbling. Your influence is going away. What's happening? And John realized, no, everything is going exactly as it should. If my ministry is really being effective, it's not going to be my name that gets built. It's going to be the name of Christ. It's going to be him. It's going to be his pursuits. It's going to be his goals and his aims. And and I think that there is definitely something to be learned with that thought. You think of uh, Solomon, for example. Solomon, when he was away from God, he tried just about everything um, in the book of Ecclesiastes to fill that gap. Um, he tried um, science. He tried just you know just about everything you can think of, charity, so, so on and so forth. Uh, but going back to John the Baptist, when he was asked that question, uh, when he gave that that famous verse about you know he must increase but I must decrease, even before then he was talking about when people were coming to Christ, his joy was fulfilled, mm-hmm. and the worldly man tries to find joy and peace and fulfillment in this world, but like Solomon, they can't find it. And Solomon, he concluded that book with "Remember now, thy Creator in the days of thy youth. Give he your gets, heart to God." Gets while back you're young. to being a man of God ultimately. Correct. Right. You'll you'll like this because you look like the kind of guy that would appreciate this. Oh yeah, uh, rock and roll, rock and roll music. Okay, well, <laughs> is it? I don't know what about the khaki pants I'm wearing and the the polo with my, you know I don't. So Fleetwood Mac, you might be familiar with the name of that band. In 1969, released a song, recorded the song entitled "Man of the World." Now, I was not familiar with this. I found this just researching Man of the World and kind of where that fits into society, pop culture, modern lingo. But Man of the World by Fleetwood Mac. Just listen to these lyrics based upon what we've just been talking about. Shall I tell you about my life? They say I'm a man of the world. I've flown across every tide, and I've seen lots of pretty girls. I guess I've got everything I need. I wouldn't ask for more, and there's no one I'd rather be but I just wish that I'd never been born. Wow. Hmm. Tuned in and listened to this, like to get a sense of the tone of it. like For what, research. Yeah, but and I didn't even know the lines. Like I'd, I'd never heard the song. Right. And I'm listening to this, I'm saying, yep, that sounds like a worldly man. You know, that's the way the world sees it. You're flying all over the world, man. He's, got a, he's big, he's a traveler, he's seen lots of pretty girls. He got all the dates. 
There's nobody else I'd rather be. But then that next line, but I just wish that I'd never been born. That, that drives it home. And what's interesting about this is this is a song about being a man of the world written by men in the world, and it's revealing the deep down the feeling of their heart. The vanity of vanities. The vanity of vanities. The emptiness of it all. It goes on, but I just, and I need a good woman to make me feel like a good man should, right? Solomon. Sure. I don't say I'm a good man. Oh, but I would be if I could. Mm. I could tell you about my life and keep you amused, I'm sure, about all the times I've cried and how I don't want to be sad anymore. And how I wish I was in love. There's nothing but disappointment yep. in that. So a man of the world who basically sets his, his compass is all about himself. It's a self-centered type of living. He is off course with God. He's wicked. He lives only for this life. It's a life of vanity, emptiness, and disappointment. So, you know, there's a lot of men out there right now. You work around them. Frankly, we may go to church with some of them, that they are in that mess right there. They're trying to define life by all they can get, all the pleasure they can find, and and it's just leaving them high and dry. Well, I think we've got a lot, probably unfortunately a lot more than we would care to admit, that that is characteristic of men in our church. And it's not that... All right, so you referenced Fleetwood Mac. I think a lot of our listeners may be sitting here thinking, well, yeah, I mean, you know... Rock and rollers, you know, they're drinking drugs and all this other kind of stuff. I mean, they're the epitome of, of worldliness. Man, I, I'm in Sunday school every time. I'm, I'm in church. You know, I'm, I'm doing this, that, and the other. I'm not a worldly man. But the reality is we can sit on a church pew week in and week out and be worldly in the fact of those same pursuits. Maybe not to the extent like, you know, a, a rock and roll group is. Mm. But it's still, it's the consumption, like you said earlier, of this present life, that that is my focus. When I wake up in the morning, how am I going to have an impact on this present life? Not how am I going to impact this present life with the hope of my kingdom that is to come, but rather what can I achieve today from this world and this life? One thing I think about, since we're um, referencing rock and roll music, I, th- I think of the song that was written, it was sang by Frank Sinatra, Elvis, a lot of different people sang it, but Paul Anka wrote it, and that's the song My Way, and it's, it's played a lot at funerals, and it has a lot to do with that, that worldly man who lived life according to his terms, and this is somebody who did everything the way he wanted it to do it, you know, there's a part in the song about, you know, having regrets and so on and so forth, but it, you hear this a lot in the song, but I did it my way. And, and that's the worldly man. The worldly man does what he wants. You think in the Bible, you think of Jacob, for example. Here's somebody that God told his parents, the older shall serve the younger. Um, he, he lays that out for them, yet there's deceit, there's lying, there's heartbreak. You have the house of Abraham where Esau is literally saying, and I'm, I'm going to starve to death, and uh, Jacob deceives him, and now his brother's trying to kill him. There's all this heartbreak if they just would have done it God's way. Everything would have been fine, but instead, they had to do it their way. They did it the way of man, whatever they felt like doing, and it left a broken home. Why is it that it's so—what what is it that's so compelling about the world that draws—it's so easier for men to get drawn into that and trapped in that, you know, rather than what we're sitting here saying, 
you know, why don't you just wake up and see some common sense? So what is it that's drawing men into that? I think it's the reality of what we can see with our eyes. We see the success manifested right there in front of us. We see the flashy car. We see the nice home. We see the trophy wife. We see the promotions. We see the cushy office jobs, the corner offices. You know, we, we can see all of these things. And it is so pushed in our society that this is the end game. Mm. This is the goal. This is how you know you've made it in life. And unfortunately, so many men, even in our churches, even from their fathers, hey, this is how you, th this is what validates you as a success. If you have a six figure job, if you have this, that, and the other. So it becomes ingrained that this is what I'm striving after because no man starts off as a child and wants to be a failure, wants to be a bum. I mean, even, even the 40-year-old guy that's living in his mom's basement playing video games all day, in his mind, <laughs> hey, I'm successful because I'm a level 386 whatever, but he is striving for something. Now, it may be worldly. We may look at it and say, hey, that's foolish. But everybody has that goal for success, but it's about what has been crammed in front of you and pushed in front of you and that you have adopted as that view of success. Well, think of the what, – what is the – the media pushing what 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 is something that's marketable for example that's the lone wolf mentality that i stand alone you know i'm going to be rebellious and i'm going to go against the grain and i'm going to do things my way however i feel like doing them it's amazing how far some people will go to be rebellious versus just following the rules mm -hmm. it's, it's amazing how far some people will actually work harder you think of you know uh, butch cassidy sundance kid bonnie and clyde when you look at those actual criminals in real life, those people worked harder at being rebellious than just being law-abiding citizens. If yeah. they just would have worked a normal job, they worked probably 10 times as hard as a person and with a normal suffered. job. Suffered and suffered in every way. Horribly. Yes. Yeah, it didn't end well. Spoiler alert for those who haven't seen it, but it does not end well. <laughs> I'm looking for a place to start. I, I, I just want to say when he's trying to find that, I like yeah. what you said about the level 300. I think of the guy yelling at his mom, telling him to bring him another Hot Pocket. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Where's the bagel bites? <laughs> yeah. Ma! <laughs> so I guess, you know, in terms of pursuing all the next great thing, you know, look at what Solomon did. I read, what was so compelling that Adam and Eve could turn from the living God to reach for the one missing thing? I think I'm beginning to understand the answer to that question for myself. We start out longing for something, and the more we come to believe this is what we have to have to be happy, the more we obsess about it. The prize, just out of reach, swells far beyond its actual meaning. It begins to take on mythic proportions. We're certain life will come together once we achieve it. We think, if only I was married, if only we had children, if only I was rich, if only I had fill in the blank. Everything else in our lives pales in comparison, even God. We are falling to believe we need whatever is just beyond our reach, and when we fall to this, we are miserable. Yeah. Yeah. So the point being, I mean, it's that belief that as long as I can achieve this, get this thing, this is what will make me happy. This is what will satisfy me. Even though God has really provided, if we'll obey him, he's provided everything we need. Oh, by the way, that was uh, uh, reading from John Eldridge's uh, Walking with God book, to give credit where it's due. Right. Well, I, immediately as you're sitting there reading that, I had, I had written down to, to bring up at some point, James 4 immediately comes to mind. Verse 1, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust that war in your members? Ye lust and have not. 
ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And to me, that's that's the whole issue right there. Is we've got so many men that are consumed with being friends of the world. Man, I want what the world has. I want and again, we're not even necessarily talking about lost men. We're talking about, you know, quote unquote followers of Christ, yet that have that Demas syndrome where they've loved this present world. They're drawn in their lust, and that is what and then verse three. Uh, ye ask, and you're you're making these you're making these prayers to God. What are you praying for, right. Lord? I sure would like to have that new car, Lord. I sure would like to have this, or I wish, and you're asking God for stuff not because, you know, you really need it, but just so that you can consume it, and it's asked after your own lust. And something else that, if we're not careful, we will create a middle ground for sin. You, know, you mentioned there in James, it also mentioned in Matthew, no man can serve two masters. We're either living for Christ or we're a, a worldly man. And if we're not careful, you, uh, Easy Target, you were talking about kind of like the rock and roll, you know, the, the, the average Joe saying, yeah, but I'm not. Here's a guy who was, you know, he's living in, in a world of drugs and so on and so forth, um, and he's unfulfilled. But see, me, you know, I'm just a normal average person, yada, yada, yada. But if we're not careful, you have this individual, and what they'll do they don't go to strip clubs. They don't look at pornography. Physically, they would never cheat on their wife. But they'll watch a movie with content that's not uh, that that has you know nudity and so on and so forth. Oh, but it's just a movie. Yep, that's that gateway stuff. Yep. Exactly. It's the yep. gateway sins. And I'm not trying to cut into that discussion so much as to say that is right on target with where we need to take this ultimately. Because I would like us to. Okay, so what do we need to do to make sure we're walking that that path of the godly man? Right. And one of the things that you are just nailing right now is that practical separation that needs to be brought in. So we definitely want to build on that. I, I do want to say this, though. If you look at the lyrics of that song that I read, it is kind of an everyman mm, life yep. journey. Sure. I mean, you, you can fill in the blanks with your own experiences because, as you said— you know, every man looks and says, well, look what I've achieved. And, and if you compare it to this guy over here, you may say, yep, I've done a whole lot more in life than that guy has. Yeah. I lived in my parents' back. I ain't in the basement. I lived in my parents' backyard in the camper, boys. Yeah. And out on my own. Right. Yeah. America. <laughs> you know? So we, we, Freedom. We're comparing ourselves among ourselves. Yeah. And then the opposite is true. I look up here and I see, well, you know, why haven't I made it? Why don't I have, uh, you know, as many likes on Facebook as this guy does? And, and there there comes in envy and all that stuff. So what, what we're clearly seeing is that when we're on the path of worldliness, it is an utter disappointment. It is vanity. When your whole world revolves around you and building a name and a legacy for yourself and all it's focused on is this life and what I can get, it's built on lust. Give me the next big thing, the next best thing. Let me have the iPhone 25, you know, because it's I, clearly that's a status thing that I've got to have. You're, you're just setting yourself up for disappointment and failure. Now, the, the, the opposite of that, what will satisfy me? Well, it's found in that, that first passage that I read from uh, Psalm 17. Verse 15 says, as for me. Now, I believe this is 
you know, the psalmist is saying, I've seen the wicked, I've seen the way they're living, but as for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Well, we're, uh, we're going to cut in right here and go ahead and wrap up the recording for this week and this episode of the podcast. And we're going to come back around the table and uh, talk this some more next week as we continue to look into, hey, am I a man of the world or do I want to be a man of God? And we're going to talk about that other side a little more, about becoming men of God. Hey, I appreciate you men coming in and doing the recording again this week. I tell you, we've stumbled into something that probably we could do some more exploring on, and we'll look at that in the future. But until next time, thank you, Roland Napoleon, for coming back today. Your check's in the mail as usual. All right. And uh, so this is Mike Overtrek Barnett saying happy trails to you. And this is Roland Napoleon, and you, constant listener, are welcome. And Corey Easy Target Cantrell saying good morning, good afternoon, and... Good night. That's a lot of In sound the heart <laughs> of a champion, There is a fire And the flames are controlled by burning design.